0: Chapter 4 of Will Warburton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Will Warburton by George Gissing. Chapter 4 When Franks was gone, Warburton took up the art world, which his friend had left, and glanced again at the fertile gravure of Sanctuary. He knew, as he had declared, nothing about art, and judged pictures as he judged books, emotionally his bent was to what is called the realistic point of view and sanctuary made him smile but very good-naturedly for he liked norbert franks and believed he would do better things than this unless the thought broke off with an uneasy interrogative he turned to the few lines of text devoted to the painter norbert franks he read was still a very young man sanctuary now on exhibition at birmingham was his first important picture hitherto he had been chiefly occupied with work in black and white There followed a few critical comments, and prophecy of achievements to come. Yes, but again the uneasy interrogative. Their acquaintance dated from the year after Warburton's return from St. Kitts. Will had just established himself in his flat near Chelsea Bridge, delighted to be a Londoner, and was spending most of his leisure in exploration of London's vastness. He looked upon all his earlier years as wasted, because they had not been passed in the city on the Thames the history of london the multitudinous life of london as it lay about him with marvels and mysteries in every highway and byway occupied his mind and wrought upon his imagination being a stout walker and caring little for any other form of exercise in his free hours he covered many a league of pavement a fine summer morning would see him set forth long before milk carts had begun to rattle along the streets and on one such expedition as he stepped briskly through a poor district south of the river He was surprised to see an artist at work painting seriously his easel in the dry gutter he slackened his pace to have a glimpse of the canvas and the painter a young pleasant-looking fellow turned round and asked if he had a match able to supply this demand warburton talked whilst the other relit his pipe it rejoiced him he said to see a painter engaged upon such a subject as this a bit of squalid london's infinite picturesqueness the next morning warburton took the same walk and again found the painter at work they talked freely they exchanged invitations and that same evening norbert franks climbed the staircase to will's flat and smoked his first pipe and drank his first whiskey and soda in the pleasant room overlooking ranelagh his own quarters were in queen's road battersea at no great distance the two young men were soon seeing a great deal of each other when their friendship had ripened through a twelvemonth franks always impecunious cheerily borrowed a five-pound note. Not long after he mirthfully doubled his debt, and this grew to a habit with him. "'You're a capitalist, Warburton,' he remarked one day, "'and a generous fellow, too. Of course I shall pay what I owe you when I sell a big picture. Meanwhile you have the gratification of supporting a man of genius without the least inconvenience to yourself. Excellent idea of yours to strike up a friendship, wasn't it?' The benefit was reciprocal. Warburton did not readily form intimacies indeed geoffrey sherwood had till now been almost the only man he called friend and the peculiarity of his temper exposed him to the risk of being too much alone though neither arrogant nor envious will found little pleasure in the society of people who from any point of view were notably his superiors even as he could not subordinate himself in money-earning relations so did he become ill at ease lose all spontaneity in company above his social or intellectual level Such a man's danger was obvious. He might, in default of congenial associates, decline upon inferiors. All the more that a softness of heart, a fineness of humanity, ever disposed him to feel and show special kindness for the poor, the distressed, the unfortunate. Sherwood's acquaintances had little attraction for him. They were mostly people who lived in a luxurious way, went in for sports, talked about the money market. All of which things fascinated Godfrey though in truth he was far from belonging by nature to that particular world. With Franks, Will could be wholly himself, enjoying the slight advantage of his larger means, extending his knowledge without undue obligation, and getting all the good that comes to a man from the exercise of his kindliest feelings. With less of geniality, because more occupied with himself, Norbert Franks resembled his new friend in a distaste for ordinary social pleasures, and an enjoyment of the intimacies of life he stood very much alone in the world and from the age of eighteen he had in one way or another supported himself chiefly by work on illustrated papers his father who belonged to what is called a good family began life in easy circumstances and gained some reputation as a connoisseur of art imprudence and misfortune having obligated him to sell his collection mr franks took to buying pictures and bric-a-brac for profit and during the last ten years of his life was associated in that capacity with a london firm norbert motherless from infancy and an only child received his early education at expensive schools but showing little aptitude for study and much for use of the pencil was taken by his father at twelve years old to paris and there set to work under a good art teacher at sixteen he went to italy where he remained for a couple of years then on a journey in the east the elder franks died norbert returned to england learnt that a matter of fifty pounds was all his heritage and pluckily turned to the task of keeping himself alive. Herein his foreign sketchbooks proved serviceable, but the struggle was long and hard before he could house himself decently, and get to serious work as a painter. Later on he was wont to say that this poverty had been the best possible thing for him, its enforced abstinences having come just at the time when he had begun to wallow, his word for any sort of excess, and wallowing was undoubtedly a peril to which Norbert's temper particularly exposed him short commons made him as they have made many another youth sober and chaste at all events in practice and when he began to lift up his head a little when at the age of three and twenty he earned what seemed to him at first the luxurious income of a pound or so a week when in short the inclination to wallow might again have taken hold upon him it was his chance to fall in love so seriously and hopefully that all the better features of his character were drawn out emphasized and as it seemed for good and all established in predominance not long after his first meeting with warburton he one day received through the publishers of a book he had illustrated a letter signed ralph Pomfret, the writer of which asked whether norbert franks was the son of an old friend of whom he had lost sight for many years by way of answer franks called upon his correspondent who lived in a pleasant little house at Ashstead in surrey he found a man of something less than sixty with a touch of eccentricity in his thoughts and ways by whom he was hospitably received and invited to return whenever it pleased him it was not very long before franks asked permission to make the Pomfretts acquainted with his friend warburton a step which proved entirely justifiable together or separately the two young men were often to be seen at Ashted, whither they were attracted not only by the kindly and amusing talk of ralph pomfret but at least as much by the grace and sweetness and sympathetic intelligence of the mistress of the house for whom both entertained respect and admiration One Sunday afternoon, Warburton, tempted as usual by the thought of tea and talk in that delightful little garden, went out to Ashtead, and, as he pushed open the gate, was confused and vexed at the sight of strangers. There before the house stood a middle-aged gentleman and a young girl, chatting with Mrs. Pomfret. He would have turned away and taken himself off in disappointment, but that the clank of the gate had attracted attention, and he had no choice but to move forward. The strangers proved to be Mrs. Pomfret's brother and his daughter they had been spending half a year in the south of france and were here for a day or two before returning to their home at bath when he had recovered his equanimity warburton became aware that the young lady was fair to look upon her age seemed about two-and-twenty not very tall she bore herself with perhaps a touch of conscious dignity and impressiveness perfect health a warm complexion magnificent hair eyes that shone with gaiety and good nature made of rosamond elvin a living picture such as Will Warburton had not often seen. He was shy in her presence, and by no means did himself justice that afternoon. His downcast eyes presently noticed that she wore shoes of a peculiar kind, white canvas with soles of plaited cord. In the course of conversation he learned that these were a memento of the Basque country, about which Miss Elvin talked with a very pretty enthusiasm. Will went away, after all, in a dissatisfied mood. Girls were to him merely a source of disquiet. If she be not fair to me, was his ordinary thought, and he had never yet succeeded in persuading himself that any girl, fair or not, was at all likely to conceive the idea of devoting herself to his happiness. In this matter, an excessive modesty subdued him. It had something to do with his holding so much apart from general society. On the evening of the next day, there was a thunderous knock at Warburton's flat, and in rushed Franks. "You were at Ashstead yesterday," he cried. "I was. What of that?" "'And you didn't come to tell me about the Elvins?' "'About Miss Elvin, I suppose you mean,' said Will. "'Well, yes, I do. "'I went there by chance this afternoon. "'The two men were away somewhere. "'I found Mrs. Pomfret and that girl alone together. "'Never had such a delightful time in my life. "'But I say, Warburton, we must understand each other. "'Are you—do you—I mean, did she strike you particularly?' "'Will threw back his head and laughed. "'You mean that?' shouted the other, joyously. You really don't care? It's nothing to you? Why, is it anything to you? Anything? Rosamond Elvin is the most beautiful girl I ever saw, and the sweetest, and the brightest, and the altogether flooringest. And by heaven and earth, I'm resolved to marry her. End of chapter 4. Recording by Julian Prattley.